0: Welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we talk about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. My name is Jeff Bruce. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm joined by my co host, John Bruce. He's a co pastor here. He's not my co dad, he's just my dad. (laughs) Dad, how are you today?
1: I'm coing here.
0: I'm doing very well. Thanks. Dad, Dad it's raining in California.
1: Yeah, it's an illusion.
0: It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's an illusion. Are you are you excited about the rain, Dad? I am
1: so excited. I'm so excited. My my lawn is very excited.
0: Yeah. My my lawn gave up the ghost a long <laughs> time ago. So um you know, I realize that I really am a Californian because I'm not excited about the rain. I know we desperately need rain and it it's important, but I kinda I kinda want it to be sunny and hot all the time. <laughs> so I know we need it.
1: But I never... Well, you're definitely a Southern Californian.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't... Okay. <laughs> well, we are in a series on the habits of healthy community, and we're trying to discern from the New Testament what a healthy community looks like. Now, Dad, as I was thinking about it this week, I know we each prefer different Bible translations. So you like... What, what's your... I
1: like the preferred? New American Standard. Because version, because it was the version of Jesus and the prophets.
0: Okay, good. So if it was good enough for Jesus, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. good enough for you? Exactly. Yeah, it's literal. It's a literal translation. Yes. I right. happen to like the English standard because not only is it literal, it's also readable, which is another <laughs> thing that's um, attractive about it. Uh, and we probably agree as well about which Bible translations we, we don't like, and we won't get into that. But, uh, Dad, I've got a little trivia for you today. Do you know my second favorite translation of the Bible?
1: Huh. No, I don't.
0: Well, I'm going to tell you. Okay. It's the y'all version (laughs) of the Bible. Have you read the y'all version, Dan? No, I have not. Well, you can go to (laughs) y'allversion.com and read it for yourself. It's an amazing translation. Uh, In fact, you can just update the NASB or ESV with the y'all version on top of it, because all the y'all version does is this. It translates every second person plural in the Bible as y'all rather than you. That's great. And you can update it according to the region of the country you're in. So if you're (laughs) in the South, it's y'all, Chicago, you's guys, (laughs) Pittsburgh, it's yins. (laughs) But I would encourage you listeners to check it out because I think it is a glaring problem with the English language that there is no second person plural. It's just Mm. you, whether it's singular or plural. And, And here's why I say that. When you read the letters of the New Testament and you'll hear Paul or Peter or James say, you do this... I think our assumption, particularly as Western individualistic people, is, oh, I need to individually go do that. But if you look at what they're actually saying, almost all of those you commands are actually y'all commands. Mm. And so I think it's very paradigm-shifting to read back and see that what the apostles are commanding is actually a a community of people to go figure out how to obey these things together, Mm. not just you and your individual life. And I think that gets to the point of what we're saying in this series, is that when Jesus saves us, He saves us not just individually, but corporately, to be a people. Titus says He purifies a people for Himself. And most commands in the New Testament operate under the assumption that you are already part of a body, of a community. In fact, they don't make sense apart from that. Hmm. And that really gets to the point we've been driving home in this series that Jesus has saved us to be a people, and that it is our life together that showcases his power, his glory to the world, which means there is much at stake right. in our relationships right. with each other. And it's very important for us to get these relationships right. And so we're trying to figure out what a healthy community looks like. And Paul gives us a great blueprint for that in Romans 12, a series of commands, of y'all commands, of things we do together and we are just asking the question what would it look like if we obeyed these if we lived according to these commandments and today we are looking at Romans 12:13 where Paul says this contribute to the needs of the saints and practice or seek to show hospitality dad paul says here that a healthy community is a generous community what are your initial thoughts on these two commands
1: I, I, I think it's just, it's so obvious that it, you miss it. But but Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the early church believed him. And, and so they were very generous, giving people. In fact, I think one of the first descriptions of the early church was there was not a needy person among them, for all of them were selling their possessions to take care of each other. And uh, even when the Gentiles first become Christians uh they uh, in Antioch they began to take con send contributions to their poor Jewish brethren in uh, in Jerusalem, which was incredibly countercultural yeah. at that time. So it, it just seems that that uh, the Christians were very intent in the first century on taking financial care of each other uh, and being generous with their stuff right. And then, of course, hospitality went right along with that. It was a hospitable culture in the sense it was considered a moral duty to take care of people in your home. The only Mm -hmm. thing is that you took care of rich people because they would return the favor. Right. And the Christians turned that around by caring for people who could not care for them or could not take care of them. So everybody's home was open to whoever needed a place.
0: Yeah. And you can fact check me on this because you'll probably know the answer, but I I think... That That was such a consistent characteristic of the early church that that 's where hospitals came from hmm. uh, the the Christian hospitality toward the sick toward the needy eventually turned into an institution of hospitals right at at some point yeah um, and uh you know you can email me listeners if i 'm wrong about <laughs> that, but <laughs> I think that is true so um yeah but but clearly a a, a huge value for the early church,
1: yeah. Yeah, and so hospitality of course means love of strangers. Mm-hmm. So it's not just uh having your family over for dinner, but it is really reaching out to people that you don't know. Yeah. And uh and caring for them. So that again that spirit of generosity seems to go all the way through the early church.
0: Yeah, you might summarize it as there's a shared life together. So there's shared stuff. Yeah. And shared space. Yeah. that these things all go together in the family of God. And I find it interesting when people look at those descriptions in Acts 2 and Acts 4 of the earliest church and how they were all selling their needs to selling their possessions to meet each other's needs. uh, Often the thought that gets in people's minds is, is this communism or, or some sort of collectivist society? And the answer is, well, none of it's forced. It's all voluntary and I think they viewed their stuff that way because they truly viewed other Christians as their brothers and sisters. Yeah, that that we're a family, and and just like my car or you know my dining room, I don't really think of it as that's mine. It's just here you go, you can. Yeah. It's, it belongs to the family in the same way. I yeah. think that that sense that we need to contribute to our each other's needs is just well, we're a family. That's yeah. what we do. Yeah, and even the word contribute here, it's. It's got that koine koinonia root, hmm. uh, so fellowship, shared life, participation. It's a participation in the needs of the saints, right? Yeah. Because we have this shared life together. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I was I was as I was thinking about this, I just thought that that many of the Christians who've had the greatest impact on me personally have been incredibly generous people, and people who were always I I think of my old friend Bob Knight and. Bob was the first one who gave me a computer, right? When computers be, he showed me how to use it. I mean, it's got Back all when they were $20,000 for a computer. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're huge boxes mm-hmm. and on black screens and stuff. But, and then he gave me books. I mean, he was always giving. He helped me rewire. Well, he didn't help me. I helped him rewire my, our, our addition to our house and uh, just, but he was always, always giving. And as a, as a result we had a deep friendship and uh, just that, that generous spirit. Um, and and there have been other people like that too.
0: And I think that example really turns the idea of giving on its head. And, and here's how is that I think when we think about being generous to people, often it's more transactional. And so it's from a distance, right? It's yeah. that you're a needy person and I'm a person who's not needy. Yeah. And so I will give to you um but the kinds of examples you gave there they were all within the context of a shared life and the generosity strengthened your bond together yeah. and the relationship so it wasn't giving at arms distance which i think is often the way that giving works in our culture yeah um yeah, but exactly. it's it's all part of this shared koinonia life together
1: i think maybe giving is at a distance is because people want to protect themselves they want to uh, not be in, in relationship to the people they're giving to because they're afraid that it'll be abused mm-hmm. rather than in a relationship. It's just a relationship and uh, you're generous to each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's not so much that that I have and you don't, but we each have something to contribute. Yeah. And if money or time or resources are the thing I can contribute, great. Yeah. Um, but but again, it's, uh, it's out of this familial bond. Yeah, um, yeah so it's yeah. good
1: so what do you think why do you think that it's uh, it's more difficult in our culture for us to be generous um, as Christians
0: I mean do you think it is I do yeah I, I think it,
1: I think it really I think I think we are so individualistic that we're protective of our stuff without even thinking about it I mean it's just it's just natural it's the water we drink that's mm-hmm. just it and there's just an idea that everybody needs to earn their way everybody needs to 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 do their part and you take care of you and I'll take care of me and then maybe if there's people that can't take care of themselves we'll give them some charity but right. it's it's not it's not like a moral duty it's not like right. th- this is who we are this is what we do because Christ who was rich, made himself poor for us, so we're going to make ourselves poor for each other right. and really help each other.
0: Yeah, I I think that is absolutely true. If you just think about what is the ideal of society and what does it look like? And if your framework is, well, everyone is sort of self-sufficient and self-contained, Yeah, and that's where we're moving toward, that, that means that the ideal is that I don't really need people for anything. Yeah. that's what I'm moving toward. Yeah. Whereas I would say the biblical ideal is much more of an interdependent yeah. mode. Yeah. Now, of course, interdependence can be abused, and people can take advantage of that, and we don't want to enable people and all those things. But I would say so often in the West, it's this idea that we're going to be kind of self-contained, either as individuals or in our biological families, and that's kind of the unit that is sufficient. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think both in the Old and New Testament, you see this vision of life together that's more like a fabric and there's interdependence and a shared life and it isn't because it's necessarily dictated by the government but because God owns our stuff yeah and yeah. he's made us a people and so our stuff belongs to God first and foremost yeah. and and then we do have an obligation to provide for each other's needs because it's God's stuff and we use stuff the way God says to use it yeah and so that's a much different it's a different picture of life yeah and it's a much messier picture of life yeah where we really need each other we're going to live interdependently and that just can be inconvenient yeah yeah <laughs> it, it, yeah it is and awkward um, you know we've we've had ex- times where we've been able to, to give or pay a medical bill for people in our community group or things like that and there is an awkwardness to it of like that you know and, and I think it's you have to have a culture where it's not a failure on your part for us to contribute in this way to each other. It's actually part of the way we bear each other's burdens and it's a blessing for us to be able to do things like that. And it doesn't put us above you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now I, I feel like we are so shaped by our culture, um, our rugged individualism, Mm um, which has been American culture ever since America began, right? That, uh, it's hard to get our heads around just the simple, Virtue of generosity, yeah, and 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 I as I've been thinking about this, I think it really begins with with how you see things and how you see people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I was thinking about uh, Proverbs twenty eight twenty two says, "A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth, and does not know that want will come upon him." And and greed is is usually pictured as as a blindness that people have. They they cannot see anything but their own needs, their own their own goals, their own progress. They can't see people around them, and and that's why right in the middle of the of the uh, passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about don't worry mm-hmm. about about your needs, he says he says uh, uh, talks about the two eyes, the good eye and the bad eye. Right. And you say, How, what does that have to do with two masters, um, and and uh, to treasures and all those things. Well, it it has to do with how you see. And if you have a good eye, uh, you're going to see the needs of other people. You're going to your your eyes are going to be off yourself. You're going to be able to, to to consider other people's interests rather than your own. And and that's where I fail is that I'm I I don't I'm not purposefully selfish. I just don't look for the needs of people around me and look for opportunities to be generous. And so that's where I feel like I have to to start. Um, is is becoming much more. When I'm with people, uh, I, I I was I was reading the sermon. on mean, the uh, feeding of the five thousand this week, and and Jesus is exhausted. He and his he and his guys have just finished a big preaching tour. He's taking them away to uh, be by themselves and to pray. And and John the Baptist has just been executed. There's there's sorrow going on. There's all kinds yeah. of things. And so, and when they get to the it's, Secluded place they were going to go to, they found thousands of people waiting for them there, and and I'm just amazed. At, it says Jesus looked at him, he felt compassion for him, he began to teach him, yeah. and you know he just drops all of his plans and all, and immediately meets the needs because he sees the needs of those people, right. even the fact that they're hungry and and uh, there, there's no place for them to buy food and uh, the disciples come to him at the end of the day, he says, well, this is getting late, better send him away so they can find food. And he says, well, you give them something to eat. And uh, again, it's it's just this totally other focused lifestyle of, of seeing people's needs around you rather than just being preoccupied with your own. So I feel like that's kind of my first step in, in increasing generosity.
0: Yeah. That is so good that it starts with our perception of the people around us. And and, and that we have things they need. Yeah. And and I think sometimes we just, we don't recognize that maybe because the needs aren't as apparent, that, that we gravitate to the people who have the very obvious needs or, you know, people on the street or the most acute things and go, okay, well, that's where I'm, I'm generous. And, and sure, that is one area. And But just the people around us in the body of Christ, if we're really going to have a shared life, then anyone in my community group, anyone in my circle, I need to view them like a brother or a sister talking about the struggles of their life and what they're going through. And yeah. go, gosh, what? Wh- where can I give time to alleviate? Um, where can I give a ride that would help them? Where, yeah. where can I provide a meal? Where can I um, provide a skill that yeah. I have? Uh, just like I would, uh, hopefully, in a healthy family. You just do it without even thinking and, um, you know, we, we have good friends who are very generous to us, but something they tell us, you know, it's just like, Hey, don't keep tallies in our relationship, you know, which I love. It's, it's this, you know, don't, you know, you did something nice. So I was like, okay, now we gotta, we yeah. gotta find some other way. It's like, no, no, that's not, that's not the way we want to live. It's just, we're family and we're going to look for things. I love that model because I think so often we can divert to the transactional model yeah. in our relationships in the body of Christ that oh That's they did good. something for me. Okay, they hosted me. I got to host them. Or okay, they gave to me. I got to give to them. And it's not this isn't about a balancing act. This is yeah. just receive and give blessings to each other in the family of God. Exactly. And uh when it's it's messier, it's more complicated, but when it's working on all cylinders, it's just a beautiful way to live because yeah you realize that you have this wonderful safety net all the time of people who are looking out for you. Yeah. And you really aren't going it alone. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it is, uh, I think, really in a place like the Bay Area, people crave it. They just have no idea how to get it. Exactly. Um, they want that kind of belonging. Yeah. But here's the problem. They also want radical freedom. Yeah. To self-determine all the time how they're going to live. And those are going to be in conflict. You cannot have deep belonging and radical freedom at yeah. the same time.
1: Which is why this is one of the habits of, of community. Right. It just doesn't it's it doesn't exist by itself. Yeah. Yeah. I've I kind of following up on that, I've I've had more than one conversation of people complaining that I had all these people over for, for dinner and nobody ever reciprocated. Mm-hmm. And and what that said is you were doing it for the wrong reason. Right. You are doing it so that somebody will give you something back, rather than doing it because God has blessed you to bless other people. And, and you're blessed as you bless other people, not as the people bless you.
0: Yeah, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Exactly. And you got you to believe that. Right. And it means that you need to experience, or you should experience joy doing the thing. Yeah. That that providing that meal, providing that hospitality, providing, giving and becoming like Jesus in your giving. Yeah. And meeting needs is the joy.
1: Yeah. And it is it, if you're properly motivated. Right. And so that's where if you if if you resent giving, you have to ask, you have to search your heart and say, "Well, why am I giving then mm-hmm. if I resent it?" Because I'm obviously looking for a reward from the wrong person
0: here. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I, I think that is a challenge because we want reciprocal relationships, right? Yeah. It's, it's, I think what's hard though, is that the only way to find truly reciprocal relationships is to be the kind of person who can initiate without expecting anything in return. Yeah. Right. You've got to be a generous person, Yeah. a giving person without expecting. And, and that kind of person will naturally attract people, uh, who want deep relationships? Yeah, um, yeah. So. Well,
1: what Jesus said, he said, if, if you love those who love you, what credit is that? Even the sinners love those who love them. Right. And uh, if you uh, greet those who greet you or invite those over who will invite you over, there's no faith in that. Right. But it's the person of true faith who reaches out to people who can't repay them and who won't repay them. Yeah. And they don't even look for repayment from that person. Right. Um, but they believe because God promises that he who, who gives to the poor will be repaid by God. Yeah. So um it's God's pretty clear on his promises that you will I will treat you the way you treat treat other people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and particularly those in need. Yeah. And so Yeah. No, I think that's that's really good and it gets to the point that you just brought up this is a habit of healthy community. It's a yeah. discipline. Yes. Um the word practice there for practice, hospitality. It's seek to show, um, one translation says, take the initiative to mm-hmm. show hospitality. Yeah. And I know for me, often I think, Oh, my home's open. Uh, and if anybody, Hey, if you want to come over, great. Yeah. You can come over and that's fine, but that's not what this passage is talking about. It's saying, look for the opportunities to welcome people into your home Yeah. and into your life.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, I think preparation, you have to be prepared to be generous. Yeah, and you have to be prepared first of all financially. I if you're just always living on the margins, and and you're barely able to to make ends meet, you're not prepared to be generous, right?
0: Um, or hospitable? Are
1: hospitable? Yeah. And so you've got to get your finances in order, and uh, maybe cut back on some other expenses, in order, which I think is the far better plan than to try to make more money so I could be more generous. It doesn't work that way.
0: Uh, that tends not to be the way God works. No, that you, you you discipline yourself with what you have, yeah, and then he blesses you with more exactly. once you're managing what you have rightly. Exactly. Rather than just trying to uh, out-earn your stupidity. Yeah.
1: Right. And so I think I think a couple of things uh along that line is is you have a regular habit of giving. Um that you know, the regular tithing, right? Regular yep. giving. And then also you prepare part of your budget just to use for being generous to people, yeah. you know, taking a person to play golf or having people over for dinner or or something like that. You don't, you you are prepared to take the opportunities as they come, right? Rather than all of a sudden, an opportunity shows itself as oh, I can't afford to have those people over for dinner this month, yeah, things like that. It, you, yeah, taking... you you usually get opportunities that you prepare for.
0: And yeah, so taking the initiative means margin and it means margin in my budget it means margin in my schedule yeah um yeah. so that i can have those people over because i think what i have found throughout my life is that it it takes intentionality to to prepare for those times to carve out those times but but then it's really the unplanned time together yeah when you're just enjoying people is where the most fruitful productive conversations and relationships yeah. are formed. Yeah, I was amazed at uh, our men's retreat that just happened, um, how open guys were. And I imagine it's you know kind of coming out of COVID and we had to cancel. So we were two years from our last retreat, but yeah. the hunger guys had to just be together yeah. and talk without an agenda. Yeah, There was nothing mercenary about it where we have to get through this and plan, but just enjoy each other's company. And it was like oxygen yeah. for those guys. Yeah, and I just yeah. thought, wow, what if we just lived like that? Yeah, what if we carved out space to just be in each other's lives in a way where we just had time for a longer conversation over dinner or after dinner or on the back porch? Or I just think there is so much life to be had there, and it's not something you can um, craft. Yeah, y- you just have to have time for it. Yeah,
1: and I don't think we can overestimate the value of the home for that. That when you have people into your home, it yeah. it it raises conversations to a completely different level. Yep. It 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 says something to them that you're valuable to me. You're you're I, I'm inviting you into my personal space. Yeah, and my life. And my life, exactly. Right. So not just I mean, it's great to take somebody out to dinner at a restaurant or things like that. But but I think when you actually use your home. Um, there, there's something powerful about that and the most the most powerful ministries I've seen over the years have been home-based ministries
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, I think there's something magical about the home and that's why hospitality is the command here yeah where whenever you're in a, a third place and not your own home there's a sense of timeline of constraint of schedule yeah. Uh, that just is eliminated when a host has margin for you, yeah. Has time yeah. when they're not constantly looking at the clock, right? And and there's going to be different seasons of life when you can do different things in this regard. Absolutely. But but when you have that uninterrupted time, people's guards just go down.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and they realize how much they want to connect and talk, you know, and uh, and and it isn't a, a performance, right? It isn't. We have to set this huge table and make the most amazing meal, and we have to. That's that's not New Testament hospitality. Right. Um, it's it's just welcoming people in. And uh it's gonna take some humility, I think, for people to do that, right? It does for me to just go, man, I my house isn't completely perfect. I'm not gonna have the the best spread to entertain you with. Um, but here's my life and, and I'd love you to be a part of it. Yeah. No, that's it. There's a vulnerability to it.
1: Yeah. It's it's creating a, a safe, welcoming environment is mm-hmm. really what you're doing.
0: Right, and uh,
1: that you can't find other places.
0: Yeah, it's good. No, I think of uh, Greg, our family pastor here, and uh, he and Lori love being hospitable, which is great. But just the the amount of fruitful conversations they're able to have in their home, yeah, it just astonishes me. Yeah, and uh, I'm like, man, I want that. (laughs) I want that in my home, and uh, yeah, you know, so I want to be like I want to be like them when I grow up. So. Mm Yeah, any other thoughts practically on contributing to the needs of the saints, showing hospitality?
1: I think I've, I, that's about all I had to, to think of. I just think it's something you have to be prepared to do. And it's, it's like any habit, you, you develop it by practicing it. So you start wherever you are and just look at how what is a, a need or just a blessing I can give somebody um, this week. Yeah. That that normally I they wouldn't have if I didn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I, I would say too, to go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6 where your your treasure is your heart is also. Yeah. So the things you give money to um tend to be what your heart focuses on. And yeah. so if you go, well, I don't have a generous heart, you do have to just start giving somewhere. Yeah. So there's some obvious ones. Like, if you're part of a church, you should be supporting the ministry of the local church yeah. because God commands you to. Yeah. And the older I get, the more I realize, like, I don't need any particular Christian's money for this church to function, right? Like, just God will provide one way or the other. Um, it, it, my focus is much more now on seeing them grow in the habit of generosity. Yeah. And develop that uh, so they can become like Jesus. Yeah. Exactly. And and that's what I've seen time and again is that when people start giving, they become more generous and, and somehow <laughs> the the ends still meet. Yeah. And in, in fact they, you know, often experience greater blessing financially because now they're stewarding God's stuff in a way that He is pleased with.
1: No, I've I've seen that as well. It's just there's a, a major spiritual step yeah. that people take that when they begin to give. Beyond their comfort zone, mm-hmm. they they're blessed financially. Inevitably, I've, right. I've seen it over. I mean, there's I can't believe we can pay all our bills now, mm-hmm. and, and we there's extra money and there never was before. But more important than that, there is a spiritual step that there is just a their faith is much more solid. They're they're seeing God work in their lives. They're just a they're they're more kingdom minded than they've ever been before. Um, and I just think that what you do with your money is a is a major test of your relationship with God, and you cannot uh, hoard wealth and be spiritual. It's just that that simple. You have to you ha- you cannot serve two masters.
0: I would go so far as to say it it might be the test in the New Testament that yeah. comes up most often is material generosity toward those in need and in general just giving. Yeah, it, because the most ever-present idol in our life in a sense is wealth. Yeah. Because we we handle it so often and and so much of our lives revolve around um getting wealth. Yeah. And and so the only way to renounce wealth as an idol, the only way to know that you're not worshipping money is to give it away. Yeah. That's the only way. Yeah. If you if you really are trusting in God and not wealth to meet your needs, the only way to know is to be generous. Yeah. Exactly. And, and if you aren't generous, then you do not have an indication Yeah, that, that you're not worshiping that idol. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it's all theory.
0: It's all theory.
1: I love God more than money.
0: Right. Great. Give it away. Let's show it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I agree with you though, that money is God's greatest rival mm-hmm. in the Bible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, I, I hope listeners, uh, you take that to heart. I can certainly testify from my own family's experience that the more we've given uh, the more we've received, and not just more money, but more joy, um, more kingdom focus, uh, more contentment, uh, more opportunities. Yeah. Um, it just, it bleeds into so many other areas of life.
1: Yeah, Jesus says in Luke 16 that if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, meaning money, right? your money belongs to God, then who will entrust the true riches to you? Mm-hmm. That is the spiritual riches. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. It is the test.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad we were able to get into a little sermon series on wealth and generosity <laughs> there as part of this. But uh, it's good. This is this is helpful. So I think find a way to be intentionally generous. That's if you don't have a habit of giving, start. Yeah. Um, and then find a, a habit of hospitality. Yeah. Um, and just something you can do as a regular rhythm to welcome people close to you into your life. Don't wait for them. To show interest in coming to your house. They will be interested when you show an interest in them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You got to be an inviter. Yeah. Inviter and includer. Absolutely. Great. Great. Well, thanks, Dad. Thank you. Listeners, thank you. And we will join you again soon.